The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, since 2016, Brian Errol has been telling the fascinating stories behind our favourite holiday traditions through the podcast Christmas Past. Inspired by public radio-style storytelling, Christmas Past provides a lens through which listeners can view Christmas as a festive, cheerful, strange and, above all, endlessly fascinating. And now Brian has authored a book based on his hit podcast, Christmas Past. Fascinating stories behind our favourite holidays traditions. And as I say, Brian's on the line. How are you today? I'm feeling the Christmas spirit, Toby. How about yourself? Yes. I'm definitely in the mood for Christmas. There must be so much to talk about on your podcast because it's about the whole history of Christmas, isn't it? It is. And as a matter of fact, what happened was back in 2015, I found myself trying to get into the Christmas spirit in the late fall. I tend to start feeling the spirit a bit earlier than the average folk. And I was really liked uh, podcasts that were put out by public radio, NPR, the ones that do these kind of nerdy deep dives. And I said, I wonder if anything like that exists for Christmas. And there was, of course, nothing. In fact, in 2015, there were very few Christmas podcasts at all. And I said to myself, well, I can't be the only one who's interested in something like this. And I had no ambitions to be a podcaster. I'm not a journalist. I'm not an historian or an academic of any kind. I was just a guy who was looking for something that didn't exist. And I said, well, maybe I'll try my hand at that. And here we are, 20, uh, 2022, seven seasons in, and I've barely scratched the surface. I mean, it is an endless topic. It just goes wide, it goes deep, and it goes on and on. Where do you look to to do all your research? Because the episodes are quite packed with info. Yeah, that's right. And the the goal for the episodes is to not only give a lot of information about the history behind a Christmas tradition, but also to tell a story. The way that I try to structure things is that you feel like you're going through some kind of narrative. And in order to do that, I need to find a living person who is the highest level of expert that I can find on that topic. So I begin a lot of my research by trying to talk to historians or, or people who are subject matter experts in various fields. So over the years, I've talked to 
professional Santa Clauses. I talked to the CEO of a candy cane making factory. I've talked to <laughs> historians, biographers, botanists, linguists. I mean, you name it. Some of the most interesting conversations I've had in my life have come through doing the research and, and holding the interviews for Christmas past. Have you become a bit of a Christmas encyclopedia yourself over the years? I'm afraid I have. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if that's helped my social life or not, because I can't go to a Christmas party without dropping the phrase, well, you know, and then going into some kind of explanation <laughs> about the history behind a Christmas tradition. And have there been any maybe topics that you've tried to find information about, but there just isn't any? Oh, sure. Or um, not that there isn't any, but there's not enough to really build a, an interesting story around. I think yeah. the Christmas stocking would be a good example of that, where there's just a few facts about how children started to do that. And it may be based on, you know, a derivation of, a, of an older mythology that predates Christianity and Christmas itself. But that's really about it. There, there's no great story behind it. That's interesting because it's such an integral part of Christmas, the stalking, mm. isn't it? Particularly when you're a child. One of the interesting things about that is a, a legend about the historical St. Nicholas, who was in fact a real person, uh, who ha was born to rich parents who died, died in the plague. And so he had a lot of money that he tended to give away. And so there's a story about how he would help this destitute family by secretly leaving them money. And we don't know if that's true or not, but we know mm. that there's a version of this story where the way that he secretly left the money was by dropping it down their chimney and then it landed in the stockings that were hanging by the fire to dry and that that's the true origin of the story of, of why we have stockings for Christmas. The only mm. problem with that story is that houses didn't have chimneys until about 800 years after St. Nicholas died, so it couldn't oh. possibly be true. So Christmas, and this is another challenge that I face as someone who's trying to tell these stories accurately and in a way that feels engaging, is that for a, a tradition, or rather for a holiday that's been around for thousands of years, of course, you're going to have variations on these stories. And so it's it's difficult to really get to the bottom of things sometimes. And how do you verify stuff? Because I mean, if you're doing a topic that's maybe quite niche, you could find something on Wikipedia that's absolute nonsense. Oh, absolutely. And there's a couple things. Like number one, I go to the academics who are the ones actually studying these yeah. topics. Number two, it really depends on what kind of information we're talking about. One example is I was looking up some statistics on how many people send letters in the U.S. to Santa Claus every year. And, you know, if you go on, you start Googling around, you'll find basically whatever number you want to be true, you'll find some article confirming <laughs> that number. So, you know, I always try to go to the primary source. You know, who's keeping these data? You know, who's the, is it the U.S. Postal Service? Are there government sources? So I always try to go as close to the source of truth as I possibly can and then go from there. Yeah. And when you're looking at the Christmas past and all the traditions that you look at in the podcast which countries are you looking at i mean is it just the u.s or do you go to other countries because of course we all have our different traditions don't we we do and every now and then i'll look at christmas around the world i mean i i spent uh, Christmas of 2018 in Iceland, and I got Ooh. to experience the Yule Lads and Grilla and the Yule Cat and all of that. That's And those are really fascinating, and I love those things. That's not the focus of Christmas past. Most of what I'm telling on the show is American traditions, but of course, there are very few true American Christmas traditions. Most of them are the British Christmas traditions. <laughs> and the interesting thing about that is that we've adopted wholesale almost all of British Christmas traditions, except for a handful, right? We 
we we don't have Father Christmas here. We don't do a pudding. We don't do crackers. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, I, I I steamed up a pudding last night, as a matter of fact, so I could let it age uh, until Christmas time. But it's interesting to to try to figure out why. What what is it about certain traditions that just never made it big here in America? Yeah. Because America is this great melting pot. We had all of these immigrants coming to the country and all settling in a pretty tight area in the Northeast in New York, and that's where you get this mingling of traditions around the early 20th century that turned Christmas into what we know as today. And you don't have the king's speech either. I mean, do you have like the president's speech or something like that? No, we we really don't. And different presidents have done different things with Christmas. I mean, the, the president always decorates the White House uh, yeah. for, for Christmas. Um, but some presidents famously, when they send out their Christmas cards, it would say Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And that sparks all kinds of culture debate on, well, what what is what what is that signifying? Are they trying to sanitize or secularize things? Yeah. But no, we don't do Boxing Day. We don't really celebrate St. Stephen's Day. None of that. It's certainly interesting because it's such a global world these days. Do you think that Christmas is a across the world are becoming more and more similar or do we still have our own identities? I definitely think that every region is going to have its own identity. And that's even true within one country. I mean, in in Louisiana, Christmas is very different from what it looks like in Oregon here in the States. And I'm sure that's true in different regions of other countries. But you're right that because the world is just a lot smaller now, that the the idea of Christmas has sort of become standardized to a certain extent. And that's not new. I think that really began around the late 19th and early 20th century with the advent of print media, which just exploded and was Mm. able to take a single image of Christmas and spread it around far and wide, where that really wasn't possible before. And so we start to see that. I mean, the the famous story that kicked all of that off was that, you know, the Christmas tree wasn't necessarily a very popular Christmas item in most people's homes until the mid-19th century, when an image of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert was circulated in Godey's Women's Magazine. The following Christmas, the Christmas tree was the must-have thing, right? The influence of the media to shape our understanding of Christmas is really something that's a very powerful force. And similar things happened with uh, the idea of Santa Claus, where uh, Thomas Nast was creating illustrations that appeared in Harper's Magazine. That was in the late 19th century. And then certain commercial artists like J.C. Leyendecker and Norman Rockwell and Haddon Sunblom, who famously worked for Coca-Cola, were creating Mm. their images of Santa. And then with the massive push of marketing budgets and media reach, that really helped to solidify our understanding of what Santa Claus looks like, what kind of things he does, where he lives, and so on. Uh, and so now, you know, here we are in the early 21st century where social media is only accelerating that. Yeah, it's so interesting because Christmas as early as maybe 100 years ago would have looked so different because so many of these things that you mentioned, all the music and films that we know and love are certainly less than 70, 80 years old. There's so many things that were new 100 years ago that we take for granted now. Well, this is the interesting thing about Christmas is that for a, for a celebration that's rooted in this 2,000-year-old religious story and that is filled with all kinds of things that you assume to be ancient tradition, yeah. it's interesting to stop and think every now and then about just how fluid and malleable Christmas is. The Christmas that you and I recognize is just this curated collection 
collection of traditions from different points in history, it is by no means the complete collection, like yeah. not even close. And it won't be the final collection. So it's always evolving. And like you mentioned, you know, certain things like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special, which is only decades old, and a lot of our famous Christmas music, which again is probably within the last one or two lifetimes. But then I think there's this illusion where you think, okay, well, that's the new stuff, but everything else must be ancient. The Christmas tree, I heard on the internet that comes from, quote unquote, the pagans or, or something along <laughs> those lines, where when you really look at it, once the, when those things became popular and common, it's really only the last five generations or so. I mean, for someone my age, I'm in my late 40s, my great, great grandparents were probably the first Americans to have Christmas trees. It's not exactly mm. ancient history. I mean, I have pictures of these people. These are people whose names I know. I mean, this is pretty close, pretty recent. And here's the thing that we've adopted from America. We only adopted it, I think, a few years ago, going by my memory, which is Black Friday. Oh, goodness. <laughs> it's one of the most interesting things. I think it certainly causes a lot of riots. And I think a lot of stores around here uh, have, have done what they can to try to tame all of that because you're right. It's probably the most grotesque example of what Christmas has become or what Christmas could be if left to its own devices where, yeah. you know, people always like to say, well, Christmas has become so commercial. And my response to that is always, well, it would be surprising if it weren't. I mean, we yeah. have become more commercial. Christmas is really just a reflection of ourselves. And in a lot of ways, it's a concentration of ourselves. It's a really useful lens uh, through which we can look at some of our attitudes about commerce, about charity, about religion. I mean, as our attitudes change uh, with all of those things, they're reflected and really a, a light is shown upon them, especially during the Christmas season. But yeah, I mean, Christmas is almost entirely a commercial and secularized holiday for most people. And when it comes to Black Friday, it's, it's the beginning of the shopping season, which is interesting in itself. Yeah. But um. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It, it, yeah, it, it, it almost becomes a holiday in its own right. Yeah. And then Thanksgiving is interesting because... We have never adopted that. And I don't really get what Thanksgiving is. Is that just you get to have Christmas twice? More or less. I mean, nowadays, it's, <laughs> it's sort of like the, the bookends, right? It's the beginning of the Christmas season, and then Christmas is the end of the Christmas season. I mean, the Thanksgiving holiday was really to celebrate uh, when the, the pilgrims came over and apparently, you know, it had improved relations with the natives here and they had a great feast and that we're commemorating that. I mean, that's that's the story they tell us when we're growing up in primary school it's nothing at all like the reality it's, a, it's quite a bit different story than that but isn't and i talk about this in the book is that the the christmas dinner that we eat is basically the same as the thanksgiving dinner and it's this harvest season kind of dinner right where you have root vegetables and a roasted turkey and it's a dinner that christmas dinner has evolved over the centuries i mean you look at what people ate a long long time ago a lot of british families ate goose if you were rich you served roast beef uh some i've heard reports of, of, of uh, peacock being served in some mm. royal courts. And so it's evolved up to about the middle of the 19th century, where we have this standard dinner of Brussels sprouts, sweet potatoes, turkey. And interestingly, it just stopped evolving for some reason. <laughs> I mean, you think of like how all the other ways in which we eat have evolved even within the last five years. Yeah. But Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner, just they want to stay stuck right where they are. And as a matter of fact, in the book, I have a, a chapter on Christmas dinner and I, I call it Christmas dinner subtitle. Tonight, we're going to party like it's 1899. <laughs> yes. Has nothing at all changed about it or is it just like overall it's not changed? Oh, I, I mean, I think maybe you can buy an organic turkey or some <laughs> farm to table Brussels sprouts but no for the most part it, you know the the set of things that you would find on the table are pretty much set in stone that is so weird cuz you'd think our eating habits, if anything, would have changed. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, commerce obviously has something to do with it. There's a big push at the grocery store. You can't walk in without them basically telling you, here are the things you want to have on hand for Thanksgiving. You want to make your yeah. stuffing and, and your turkey and, and, and all of that. And then I think it's, you know, traditions are very difficult to break. I mean, it's easy to change habits outside of the traditional season. But I think when it comes to traditions, we, we just want to, to do what we did growing up and your parents wanted to do what they did growing up. Now, before you you started this Christmas past podcast, had you had any experience of podcasting or broadcasting or any kind of voice thing? None. None at all. I hadn't the foggiest idea what I was doing. And again, I, I never set out to start a podcast. I mean, I think a lot of people, their journey into podcasting is, oh, like I've always wanted to start a podcast or I, you yeah. know, I, I have a business and I heard this is how you have to, you, you just need one nowadays to promote it. <laughs> Um, this was, you know, again, I went looking for something and when it didn't exist, I was like, well, I don't know that maybe I'll be the person to create it and I'll see how it goes. And 
And, you know, the way that I did it was, again, I was looking for like an NPR style Christmas podcast. So I said, I'm going to use that as my model. And so that was really how I came into it. I, was like, I said, I'm going to basically imitate that um, and not be shy about it either. I'm, I'm going to be pretty much that's part of the brand is that I'm trying to create the NPR of Christmas podcast. So I, I wear my influences on my sleeve. And what are your listening figures like the rest of the year when it's not Christmas? I'm guessing you probably get most of your listeners and interview requests and everything at this time of year. Oh, yeah. 90 to 95 percent of my listens happen during Christmas. Uh, and by Christmas, I mean, there's a slow ramp up. If I look at the little chart, mm. you know, sometime around September, like very gradual increase. Uh, and then interestingly, I always figured that it would be between Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving and Christmas that my numbers would be highest. And it really tends to be the week of Christmas itself. When mm. my numbers really reached their peak, I, I figured it would be more like a bell curve, pretty pretty much evenly spaced throughout the season. But no. Um, and, and so I was really pleased in 2020, I, I surpassed the one million downloads mark. And now just uh, we're not even into the Christmas season this year. And I'm already on pace for two million, which is, I mean, good, pretty respectable numbers for any podcast, but let alone one in a position like mine where I basically have four to six weeks out of the year to build my audience, right? I mean, after New Year's, nobody cares anymore. And it's yeah. hard to get people to care throughout the year, except for the, you know, the real diehard Christmas fans or those mm -hmm. who kind of check in with casual interest around July for Christmas in July. Yeah, I have a very narrow window of opportunity to build my audience. But then again, every now and then I'll check my stats and in April, I'll get this weird bump. And I'm like, who are these people who are <laughs> downloading, you know, many, many episodes of my podcast? And on Boxing Day, you know, the day after Christmas and indeed the days after Christmas, does it immediately drop off or is it more of a gradual decline? It's somewhere in between. It's got a long tail on it, right? I noticed maybe yeah. around February is when it's fully petered out, but it is a pretty steep drop. Right after Christmas Day, I noticed the, the, the trend is going downward. And now you've came out with this book, which is called Christmas Past, Fascinating Stories Behind Our Favourite Holidays Traditions. What made you want to write a book? Well, I think it was, again, during 2020, where the audience and the show had grown to the point where I said, well, I think I'm ready to graduate to whatever the next level is. Yeah. And the book just seemed like a really natural choice just because I had all this research. My episodes are scripted, so a lot of writing was already done, which isn't to say that the book is simply the transcribed episodes of the podcast. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not that at all, but that there was a lot of material that I already had assembled, so it seemed like a really natural fit. Yeah. And not only that, there's a lot on the podcast that I can't really do um, because the way that I write and structure the episodes is that it's everything's written for the voice. It's meant to be short. You're meant to be taken through this kind of like narrative experience. Uh, you know, what I really wanted to be able to do is elaborate on certain things. I wanted to be able to show a lot of visuals. So the book is, and this is the way I pitched it to the publishing houses that, you know, on every page, there's something to catch your eye, some little sidebar, some little, you know, like uh, an, an image, uh, something like that, in addition to the stories that I'm telling. And how does writing a book compare to writing a script for the podcast? Oh, they're, they're totally different animals. I mean, they <laughs> I, the only thing they have in common is that they involve words being typed onto a screen, but everything else is entirely different. Because, you know, with, with a podcast, and again, writing for the voice, and because my show is scripted, I'm, I'm writing the way that I'm going to say things, is yeah. you say a lot of partial sentences or use weird grammar, or the way that I'm trying to hook 
you in with a story is uh, very much I'm pulling in sound as I'm writing. So if you listen to episodes of my backstory episodes, um, I'm sorry, that was an awkward phrasing. If you listen to examples <laughs> of my backstory episodes, you hear I have a couple techniques I like to use. One of them is that I drop you right into the middle of a conversation that I'm having. And then I come in and voice over and say, well, I'm talking to so-and-so about such and such, things like that, where, you know, you can't write that on the page. It would just, it would make no sense at all. Yeah. So it's really, they're really very, very different beasts. Um, they're, they're each interesting in their own way, but I think I prefer the podcast writing. It comes a lot more naturally to me. The book was a lot of work, right? Because sure you had to do less podcast episodes for the whole of this year than you normally would have done because you were working on the book. Yeah, well, the, the timeline for the book was actually pretty crazy. Yeah. They wanted it, uh, the publisher came to me last October and said, we want to buy the book. And if, if you know anything about publishing, all the many steps involved with the art layout and the people who do the proofreading and then sending it off to be printed and getting to the warehouse and setting up the distribution. I mean, it is a very long process. So when they came to me last year, I figured they wanted this thing to come out in 2024. And they said, no, 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 2023, <laughs> which means we need the manuscript from you in like a couple of months tops. So we did all of the work uh, early this year so that we could free up time for all of the, the promotion and for me to get my actual season of the podcast out this year. So yeah, I was been working on the book and the upcoming season of the podcast throughout the year, putting out fewer episodes. And I think that's also because I used to put out a lot of episodes throughout the year, but that was before I had a two-year-old son. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> my life has, has become a little more complicated. So are the episodes going to ramp up again or are you just spending the time of your son? Well, what I've been doing since September 1st, and I don't know if this is a thing that they have over there, but certainly in America, we have the Burr months, all of the months ending in B-E-R as yeah. sort of an unofficial extended Christmas season. It comes from the <laughs> Philippines. Oh. Actually, that's it's actually a big thing. We've adopted it to a certain extent over here too. And during the Burr months, I start putting out one episode a week, every Monday. Um, but these aren't the official Christmas season and episodes. They're not the ones where I interview experts and tell the stories behind a Christmas tradition. It's more like um, the one that I did last Monday was that we we're playing a game of Christmas trivia with some of our listeners. This upcoming week, I'm going to be sharing a list of uh, new Christmas music from independent musicians. And then from Thanksgiving onward, I'm putting out three episodes a week. And these are like the official ones modeled after the NPR style, where I'm telling you the backstory behind a Christmas tradition. Three of those a week, all the way up to Christmas Day. Now, when you die, will you become the ghost of Christmas past? Oh my gosh, I almost feel like in a long way, well, I'm the, I'm the living person of Christmas past at the <laughs> moment, so it seems only natural. Yeah. Of course, the podcast is called Christmas Past, and the book is called Christmas Past, fascinating mm -hmm. stories behind our favourite holidays traditions. Where are we able to find them both? Well, you can find the book, as they say, wherever books are sold. Uh, yes. So that would be you know Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you like to get your books. You can find the podcast wherever you find podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And if you just want to find all of that and ways to follow me on social media, you can go to christmaspastpodcast.com. Excellent. Well, many thanks for coming on today and have a great Christmas. You as well. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Throbbing Pulse of Sound, the Toby Gribbon Show.